This is Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That's me. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Marie SC, who left a review on Apple Podcasts. Marie writes, great content across the whole industry. Love the origin stories of my favorite people in this industry. Thanks to Marie for taking the time to share that. The reviews and ratings are great, and they really help other people to discover the podcast. If you take the time to leave one, I'll take the time to read them out here on Drinks at Work. Okay. This episode is one for those who have thought about writing about drinks, bars, and bartenders. I'm talking to Theo Watt, who's the founder of Drink Magazine in Asia, where they publish out of Hong Kong. You may recall his editor, Holly Graham, on a previous episode of Drinks at Work, and also out of Shanghai for the Chinese market. He's also the founder of Thirsty Work Productions, which publishes the website and is something of a trade marketing activations agency putting on events for the bar trade throughout China and Asia. Theo has built an impressive business and more importantly, a community around his publication in China. We talk about how he fell in love with bars, how Drink Magazine started and why they closed the print publication and moved to online only in 2017. We also get his thinking behind staging the Drink Magazine Bar Awards, voting systems and a whole lot more. There are a couple of audio issues throughout the interview. When Theo is talking about printing magazines today, he references UK publication, The Cocktail Lovers. And when later the audio fritzes again, he's talking about the world's 50 best and tales of the cocktail's spirited rewards. But with all that cleaned up, it's a good one. So here's my chat with Theo Watt. Well, Theo Watt, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work from Boothby. Thanks, buddy. Good to be here. Very excited. And all the way from Shanghai, and this is the second sort of time that we've tried to link up and do this chat. Uh, is it the second? Well, yeah, okay. yeah well, I think we, we've moved it a couple of times as well. <laughs> we had some technical difficulties first time around, but I'm really excited to have this chat uh, because you're the, I guess, the, the founder of Drink Magazine and Thirsty Work Productions. And uh, for a while, for a long time now, you've sort of, um, Drink Magazine in particular has been one of these publications that I've looked to to sort of get an idea of what's going on in Asia. And so it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, it's really good to be here. Good to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I think uh, I've listened to a few interviews and, and read some interviews with you before. So some of the backstory stuff we'll sort of, we'll just touch on briefly. But uh, your hospitality life sort of before you fell in love with bars sort of began with uh, four years at hotel school in Switzerland. What were your, uh, I guess, ambitions for your career then? Did you have a big life in hospitality planned out for you? Yeah, I mean, kind of. We, I'd, I'd, I kind of, I didn't know what to do when I was um, in my late teens. I wanted to, I did want to go and go to art school, and go into design. Um, and then my mum, who is Australian, actually from from Brisbane, um, but she was. Uh, she was kind of uh, kind of an Asian style parent because she was just like I wanted to be the artist, and she was like, "No, you need to do something that's uh, a little bit more, you know, a bit of more of a grounded, solid, uh, solid <laughs> career job." And then um, she was like, "You know, what kind of do you like?" And we we'd we'd we had friends of ours in Kenya that we went to stay in the the hotels that they owned a lot, and. Uh, through like my whole childhood, I'd, we'd been going there. It was, uh, you know, it was a great place to hang out, and we'd been surrounded not not just as a guest, but within the operations of the hotel business. So, Mum made the great idea for my summer holiday when I was seventeen years old to go to Kenya for five weeks. Why don't you do that? Yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, sure. And I and I studied through. Um, I did training through all of the obvious bits and pieces, kitchen, front office, housekeeping, animation. Um, and obviously I loved it. 
And then uh, I decided to go back the next year um, after I finished school. And I did three months there purely in animation. So which is kind of like a geo in Club Med. Right. Uh, you think about it, like, so somebody that's out doing all the sports and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I was, so within that process, um, I decided that I would go to hotel school and, uh, and I was down to go to Oxford Brooks, which is a really great school for hospitality in the UK. Um, and I had a friend of mine that I'd met in Kenya and she was going to this Swiss school. And she said to me, uh, you should come to the Swiss school. Um, and, and I was like, uh, no, that's going to be crazy expensive. It's yeah. not going to be possible. And she's like, no, no, it's a really young, it's a really young and new school. And it's not as expensive as you might think. So, uh, long and short of it, um, I managed to persuade the powers that be to <laughs> allow me to, to go. And, uh, and I went and it was a, it was a, it was a great school in Montreux. Um, and we, I was doing a, a bachelor's in, um, hospitality and tourism. I don't, I don't think the hospitality can really be taught. You know, mm. it's really something that you either have with you or you don't necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I think these schools are just there to hone the technique to which you approach, approach it, you know. Right. And so you, you end up at the W Bar in Sydney in the early 2000s. And this is when, was it the Water Bar it was called then? Yeah, it was Water yeah. Bar. It was Grant, Grant Collins. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember right. that time. I remember that time the yeah. water bar was like the place to sort of work out was pushing the boundaries of what cocktails were. It was a really big, I guess, locus for making uh, bartending cool in the eyes of bartenders and and making and pushing like really great drinks on on the uh, public of Sydney. What was it you fell in love with about the bar world there? Oh gosh, you know, like I I'd, I'd worked bar in some hotels previously and and I'd done a lot of the generics. Um, and I did enjoy it. I did love talking to, you know, hairdryer salesmen from Minnesota and, you know, of random crap until three o'clock in the morning whilst yeah. making them mojitos or cosmopolitans and stuff like that. Sure. that. You know, that was, that was, that was always fun and always is fun as, as to do as a bartender, but kind of, um, I, I had, I had been going around the city looking for a job and I landed at the W and I met Grant and Natalie, I think it was. Um, and, and they said to me, oh, you're a management trainee. Um, we don't have anything for a management trainee. And I, was, and I said to them, well, I'll take anything. So like, do you have anything? And they're like, oh, we've got a cocktail waiter position. I was like, okay, I'll take it. Just give me some, give me some extra training and stuff like that. Mm. And I didn't know what I got myself into really. What I mean by that is that I, I hadn't really been absorbed like into that cocktail world to which Sydney is prolific. And it's it's the, one of the best Melbourne, Sydney, um, Brizzy as some of the best cities of cocktails in the world now, I think. Um, and, and that's, and it's not just because of how well they make drinks. It's, it's because of the actual culture that, that surrounds it and surrounds the trade. So, I, I basically went in and then I was just brought into this family of, of people, um, both bartenders and servers on the floor and, and who everyone that just worked really hard and knew what they were doing. Um, and, and you had to learn really, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you, yeah. And then seeing, I think it was Pete Fisher, Brian Jewell, um, oh, yeah. George Nemec was there kind of like back in, this is 2004 to 2006. Yeah. And many other 
many other guys kind of went through, but kind of like just watching, I remember just watching any of those three on dispense and just seeing the way that they picked up a ribbon of tickets, put them down, <laughs> laid out, laid out their, their glasses. And then just, it was, it was, it was like watching poetry in motion, just seeing the way that they did round building, you know, and, yeah. and seeing that, and then just seeing how annoyed they got if you didn't spike your ticket or if you didn't do this on time and everything was just organized chaos. Yeah. And it was really lovely to be a part of. And then when you finished, we went across the road to the Willamaloo Bay Hotel or to one of the pubs across the road. Yeah. And then everyone would just carry on talking about it and they'd be writing their perfect, drawing their perfect bar on a napkin. Yeah. It's like, I have backloaded fridges or I'd have, oh no, I have this kind of thing. And, and I, I was just, I was automatically kind of in this family of people that really cared about what they did. For me, I was like, wait, shit, this has taken hospitality to a new level. And fuck the hotel around it, you know? Like yeah. the heart, beating heart of that hotel was water bar. Uh Okay, so let's, let's fast forward a little bit to uh, when you launched Drink Magazine. Was that 2008, if I'm correct? Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so we... What, what was it? Yeah, what was the idea behind doing that? Why why did you want to do this thing? We incorporated in October of two thousand and eight. So if you remember, there was some kind of crisis that happened <laughs> at that moment. Um, been a global I, financial crisis, perhaps. Yes, yes, yes that's <laughs> it. Um, not a great time to start a company um, when your investments coming from wasn't coming from US, but came from England. And I remember that some of some of the money that came from England, you know, the British pounds before slightly before that was around 15 RMB to the pound. And within about three months, it dropped to 10. So we lost Ooh. like 33% of that investment. Wow. Just as we were, you know, had everything ready starting that business. Yeah. But um, actually, you know, it, the idea of drink came about um, because I had, I had arrived in China as a consultant to, um, to design and run and build a cocktail list for a bar. And, you know, I wasn't a bartender as, as um, I've mentioned, um, but I always love a challenge and I've been <laughs> surrounded by it for not that long, but I, you know, I, I did it anyway. And actually in China at that time, you didn't have to honestly be the best in the world to be, to be good. Right. So you get away with a little bit at that at that moment, but kind of like basically did that job. That was that was fun. But during that whole time, I was just looking at the industry and how or 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 not the industry. There was no industry really at that moment. Bars, you know, there's a few clubs that kind of like hung out after work, but there really wasn't many people talking and conversing about cocktails and all the rest of it, apart from some of the foreigners. I had this team of guys that I trained up. And these guys had never seen stirred down, like proper stirred down drinks. They hadn't seen old fashions and didn't know the story behind old fashioned. They hadn't seen yeah. Manhattans and seen the story behind a Manhattan. They yeah. were used to mojitos and cosmopolitans and flaming Lamborghinis and kamikazes and all the rest of it. Yeah. Fast and easy, easy drinks to make. Um, and I kind of like, I remember the first training session I went through and I, I told them the story of the old fashioned, their eyes afterwards was, were just like, wow, tell us another one. Right. And then I was just like, shit, if only these guys had had, you know, an ounce of what we had in Australia as we were kind of growing up kind of within that zone. And I remember, I remember bartender magazine 
in 2004, like when it arrived in the pigeonhole at the W Hotel and someone said, Barton magazine's arrived, and we'd all fucking peg it over. Yeah. Take the, take the mag out of the pigeonhole and, you know, open it up and then just look inside and see whether uh, we were quoted or in a photo or our friends were <laughs> or which stories were there. We knew that we'd done a tasting with Phil Bailey one week or something like that. So we wanted to look into that. So, you know, it was just, you know, the idea of that mag was just, it's just a melting pot of all this social interaction that goes on within our industry. Yeah. And I said to myself, you know, this would be a really good place to do that, you know, to have, have you know, to see outside influence, what's going on outside of China, um, what's going on within China, see the benchmarks of, of great places and great people doing that. Yeah. So I said to myself, I had two ideas at that point when I wanted to leave. I was like, do I create a bonza bar spoon? Because there weren't any bonza, like flat-ended bar spoons there. Yeah. Or do I make a newsletter? So my buddy that I was working with, uh, I said, do I do a bonza bar spoon or do I do like a newsletter, like a, like a mag? It was more of a newsletter at that point. Yeah. Um, and he was like, well, mate, you'd need a, you'd need something to advertise your bar spoon in. So why don't you start with doing the newsletter and then you can make the bonds of bar spoon later. And I was like, okay, okay, making sense. Yep. So I decided to do that. I started thinking through that process. And then I realized that you can't just make a, a newsletter. And, you know, China's so much more than staples and crap paper. You mm. really do have to, um, you really do have to have, um, you know, quality binding. I'm showing yeah. you on the video this this you know binding of it, but that's, kind of like you have that's, have a, that's a that's a perfect perfect bound magazine, right? That's a perfect bind. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Not, so none of this saddle stitch stuff. <laughs> no, and 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 we and so from the very beginning we were like, I, I said to myself, you know, I have to do this properly because we're looking for you know to take, make money off brands in order to fund this once the investment goes and I'd already lost 33%. Yeah. Um, so, so, and then I started kind of designing it in design and, um, and then I realized that I needed some help, obviously. Yeah. So, and I had the structure of it in my mind, but I'm not a writer. So I, I contacted a friend of mine who I just met a, pre, a few months previously to do an interview with him, Dan Bignold and asked him, if he would become a partner with me yeah and he would basically be the guy that would take the ideas and put them into into writing yeah and uh and thankfully you know with a few conversations and and, and back and forwards he agreed and that's when we started together in october 2008 with the first issue arriving in january 2009 yeah and the main premise of it was the, the three kind of key areas was venues, drinks, and people. So the idea with venues was always in the very beginning was showcasing the best venues in the world so that China could see great examples of what the best venues in the world are. Right. Then looking at new venues that have opened, opened for business, we call new venues that have opened up. Then we called Made in China, which meant that the venue had been open for three years, which is that was the breaking point to many venues. They, yeah. you know, if they, they succeeded three years. Then generally, they keep on keep on going. Then people, uh, so drinks obviously was a very important one. So drinks was very different, you know, from other ones because other mags, because we were really, I think that you know, we were teaching about in the very beginning fermentation. 
you know. Oh, really? Yeah. So the, we started from the yeah. ground up. Nobody yeah. had no, no one had been in the industry telling them. Right. Of course. Yeah. So first mag issue was was fermentation, and uh, I think distillation. I think that Dean Callan did distillation. He was living here, so he did distillation for us. Yeah. And then with you know understanding distillation, and then you kind of go into vodka, and then what happens when you've got vodka and you add you know botanicals inside you've got gin what happens when you take <laughs> you stick it in barrels you got whiskey whatever so kind of like the idea is that we would teach the spirit base first and then we would then we would take maybe 10 10 different skus of the different spirits that were available and we'd bring 12 bartenders into a room and we'd get them to taste through these different things and they would yeah. have the chart with their face and their name into the magazine and yeah be, be photographed in it so that was a really nice way to pull more, more people in then we would take one famous cocktail that was made with that base spirit so let's say it's a scotch and you do a rob roy yeah uh, and then we had this big long timeline of the early influence of rob roy all the way up to up to up to now so rob roy might have started with a manhattan right and sure. then it kind of moves into the rob roy so that was drinks and then uh, obviously cocktail stuff was put in there. And then we went on to people. So people was obviously, we'd interview uh, everything from bartenders outside of China to, to, to let us tell their stories and then bartenders within China. Right. Um, and then maybe some bosses or distillers or other bits and pieces. And it was basically built, drink was built around kind of presenting to China every, uh, every month or two months another reason why you should be a bartender and why you should yeah. stay a bartender within the Chinese bar industry. And, okay. and we did that for about, yeah, until about 2017 until yeah. print started to become something that they didn't want to invest so much into. From the sounds of things, it's, you were focused very much on building community there. How do you, how do you rate your, your success, uh, you know, these, this many years on from the first issue there? It's an inter interesting question. It's, it depends on what you classify as success, really. Um, so, <laughs> well, like, like where, where's the bar scene in China now compared to where it was then? Oh, my gosh. The bar scene is amazing now. I, I, I put it up there as, you know, one of the best. Um, you know, it's still got a long way to go, but it's, it's, it's leaps and bounds Mm. ahead i mean you saw it a couple of years ago when we came you came into drink awards yeah you know but every year it just gets better and better the the level of technique is 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 brilliant um there's still a fair amount to be to for them to get in terms of understanding true hospitality and the reasons why you do certain things um that's mm. just but that's just a cultural thing yeah um and it's something that you know as a job as a bartender, you're you're definitely making drinks um, and serving people a lot. But it's only until you become more immersed into owning a bar or really having a share of a bar that you start to realize how important the hospitality factor is. Right. right. So I think that now there's a plethora of young bars popping up around the country to which young bartenders are. Uh, leaving from their training ground in Shanghai or Guangzhou or wherever, and they're going back to Jinan or Deyang or other small fourth tier cities of 5 million people. Um, <laughs> tiny cities. Small cities, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and going back and kind of like, and, and, and opening their own little bar. Yeah. So 
you know, it's it's amazing now that you see such a big trend towards the small bar um, popping up around the country. So these young bartenders, when they get to that point, and they realize that, you know, they have to, they have to be hospitable and they have to, it's not just about being cool. It's about really kind of being, you know, being hospitable towards their, towards their clientele and towards yeah. their patrons. In terms of us, we're playing a waiting game. You know, we're, it's, yeah. it's, it's an extremely long waiting game. Only 2% of the Chinese uh, of consumption is, is Western spirits, you know, right. so... So it's really interesting. It's about seven million cases. I've looked at it recently. Um, yeah. About seven million cases, um, accounting for you know, let's just say one point five to two percent, maybe sure. um, consumption. Ninety-eight percent is basically Baijiu, Huangzhou. It's all the Chinese spirits, which right. is around nine hundred million cases. Yeah. yeah. So, so a huge yeah. number. So a huge number, and. Um, and the waiting game that you're playing, we're playing here, is is basically um, Baijiu is primarily drunk by a lot of the elderly, um, and um, and there's a massive new set of youngsters who uh, are much more uh, into drinking low ABV or international products uh, yeah. like uh, spirits, uh, Western spirits. Cognac is still at the top. Cognac out of that out of that. 1.5 to 2% accounts for almost 80 to 85% uh, by value. And then about 15% or maybe a bit less than 15, maybe 12 or 13% is whiskey. And then about 3%, don't quote me on all these, but this is pretty yeah. close, about 3% is, is, is like light spirits. Right. So then <laughs> of the light spirits, cocktails account for a tiny amount. So yeah, sure. as a as a trade agency that we've become since doing the magazine, we've kind of snowballed into doing, we realized that, you know, as you'll as you'll know, or you might find out, <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that, you know, there's there's not a massive amount of money in 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 making uh, a publication it's more yeah. based around the events that you build around it so we yeah. started doing um small master classes uh pulling bartenders in and, and kind of practicing what we we're preaching bringing cool people that we liked into doing um seminars and master classes mm. and then we were asked oh can we do a small competition so we did we built a small competition here and there and then the, i think the first brand we started doing lots of comp comps with was with jameson we did the jameson bartenders ball yeah um, and we did some other fun bits and pieces with jamo and we actually worked you know and to this day we work quite a lot with um perna ricard so we built you know the havana club grand prix we built uh beef eater mix london we built yeah. absolute invite we and the and the feather in, in the cap was with shivers masters so we uh we we built Shivers Masters in 2014. Um, mm -hmm. But we've we've also done a lot of educational stuff. So we've built the education education for Bacardi Fellowship. So we, we kind of built the whole offering for Bacardi's educational program for China called Bacardi Fellowship. Yeah. Um, we've been doing Campari Academy. Recently, we've done uh, uh, we've done a lot of videos for education for Pana Ricard. Mm. Um, so we kind of like, you know, we realized and especially after 2017, when we stopped the magazine, we had to have other revenue sources. Yeah. Um, so, and we'd just been doing this. So we just cranked up the volume, really. So, you know, that was that's that's the position that we played um, right. in, in the China industries. We're, we're again with a middleman between the bartender yeah. 
and the brands. So um, and it's been great. So I mean, China obviously is a vast country and with an insane number of people. When went from that sort of the first issue of Drink, how many cities were you in then? And then how how did the, the reach of Drink grow over time? Yeah, so we started in five cities. Uh, we started in uh, Beijing, Shanghai, Chengdu, Guangzhou, Shenzhen. Yeah. Um, and then we slowly were going to more and more cities just uh, organically, which we always did actually, but kind of like it was more by word of mouth and knowing uh, people finding out about the magazine or, you know, in some cases, brands kind of, you know, brands who had been investing with us had been sending the magazine out to their to their good clients. Right, okay. But then WeChat. Yeah. When WeChat came, um, we we went from, I, I, I can't tell you how many, maybe 50 or 60 cities to about 156 cities. Right. And so and can, can you explain to like WeChat. an Australian audience, like what, uh, WeChat is a social media platform, but it's it's more than that in China, right? It's not just yeah. WeChat is the be all and end all of of, of communication and right. banking, and um, you know, uh, and it's basically Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, um, Uber uh, as well, Alipay, yeah. Alipay, yeah, uh, all all tied into into one. Um, so you've got your moments, or you've got your feed that you put out. Um, so everything that we do, I was just on a call now with with um, with Lauren Moat and the uh, Patron team about executing Patron Perfectionist this year. And we were just literally talking about how, you know, when you come into the China market, you have to be ready when you're pulling in a whole bunch of bartenders into a program to to be ready to make sure that we've got a position for them to write their WeChat handle, right? It's, right. So, you know, just small things like that, you know, kind of like, so... We have to make sure that you know any of these inter big international competitions that are coming in are ready specifically for um, pulling in as many Chinese bartenders as possible. And so, were you you were publishing drink? Drink was publishing on WeChat. Like you're putting stories out through that. Basically, actually, as soon as WeChat started, um, we we basically did have a channel. Um, we had our own uh, what's you know our, our own. Uh, drink channel. Um, we already had. We've got about sixty-five thousand followers, I guess, seventy thousand followers, I think, now on the on the drink WeChat channel. But to which about sixty percent is trade, and it's 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 oh gosh, I don't know how it's ten plus years old. So we basically put out probably two stories to three stories a week, um, depending. We're putting out new stories, but in two thousand and seventeen, it was the second it was the second year of Drink Awards. Um, we decided once we'd just finished, we'd, we'd basically just done three or four issues out of Southeast Asia where Dan had ended up going to Singapore. So we yeah. launched we launched Drink out of Singapore into the Southeast Asia market. We realized how fragmented that market was from a marketing perspective. Um, you've got head offices in Hong Kong and Singapore, yeah. and then you've got singular offices in all kinds of different places. And when you have a magazine that's distributed to a whole region, yeah. and then you need funding from you know, one brand from four different offices, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. So we realized that it was just a very expensive marketing objective. Mm. Um, and that kind of launched our audience into, into what now Holly is running, which is uh, the drink portal on, online, which she's doing an amazing, as you know, she's doing an amazing job yeah. with that. 
Um, so we've got, you know, that's kind of like our, the, the window to what's happening in Asia for the rest of the world. We probably could put more info from China onto that platform as well. Yeah. Um, uh, so people can see what's going on in China. But yeah, so we stopped the print in 2017. It was very sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a beautiful magazine. I think it was, in my opinion, it was definitely one of the, the most beautiful drinks magazines going around. Thanks, but like the Thanks. quality was beautiful. Yeah, we had about three different paper types inside, you know, we tried to make it as interactive as possible. You always went big on photography, right? Which is, I think it's always a hallmark of a great magazine. We always had to have liquid involved in every cover. So there's, you know, so, yeah. So, you know, you, know, you still have to keep, you know, even from the beginning, we've still kept our identity that sits behind drink, you know, mm. the face buster font, the use of liquid, you know, still open for business or the, these different, you know, titles or bylines that we, we still use in our, in, in our platform now. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, you know, when the magazine stopped it, it really was, you know, it's, it's, it's something that the trade really felt that they owned. You know, I think it's, I think, I think now that the industry is so strong that um, it doesn't necessarily need it. Uh, though I've always dreamed of the opportunity to be able to come back, even if it's just a one brand sponsored mag that, yeah. that we do with a brand that enables us to kind of pull it back and celebrate something. I'd well, love to do it. Well, Class Magazine came back, you know, different owners, but that came back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you, uh, in terms of print magazines, What's your what's your feeling on if someone wanted to start a drinks based magazine? Would you tell them to do it in print, or would you tell them forget print? It's going to be way too hard. I think that if you've got a good enough company behind you, I think that what the for example the Lovers did great was uh, there they were obviously coming from two two areas. Uh, to which they're you know very good at what they do, but they were also just avid bar flies at the same time, and they created um, a good-looking magazine, but was was printed in a very and bound in a very simple way. Mm. And I think that that's potentially if you've got good enough content, don't be afraid you know to be to be cheaper looking. Yeah, you know, if you can afford to have three different paper types. And you can be perfectly bound, and and you can have a plastic in, in it, uh, a, a bag, and all the other bits and pieces. That's you know I did it like that because that's just what the Chinese market called for. But I yeah. don't think the bartending world is that superficial, right? You know, I think that all we're looking for is good content. Yeah. So I think the way the cocktail lover, lovers have done it, Sandra and Gary have done it, is is great because I think that that I hope for them is a sustainable yeah. way of moving. I think it, it's still nice to be able to turn a page, you know, and it is nice to have a great looking mag and, you know, with different paper types and the rest of it, but it's nice to also have a fluffy pillow. Yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how do you come up with the uh, decision to go into the, the bar awards space with the drink magazine oh. bar awards? And uh, how, cause when I was there, it was, a really impressive uh, display. It was really well executed and it was in a very grand kind of way. Like it was a great big screen and uh, just really polished and, and professional. Thank you. How yeah, did you I mean, bring yourself to uh, putting this thing on and, and what were the things involved in doing that? Look, when we first started, what we did 
when we first started the mag and, and we're doing all these events and stuff like that, definitely in the, even in the early days, we'd had ideas of bar awards, bar show, like, you know, what do we do, but um, and what do we do and when? Yeah. But in, in the instance of the awards, um, I waited basically for, gosh, I mean, it, um, eight years from the beginning of the mag. And it, it wasn't, there's was a lot of reasons as to why, um, but it was about the, the, the trade being ready. Okay. Um, you know, having, having a big enough network of, um, not of fans of, 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 the, of what we did, but of just, you know, we were, we're all in this melting pot of, uh, of amazingly just great people within our industry who are striving and owning their own businesses and brands that are finally getting the reasons why we do these things. And, and, and it's not just, you know, it's not just bartenders. It's, you know, we're also educating the brands. We're educating the brand brands and what they should be doing. We're educating other agencies in yeah. how to, you know, we, we don't just want to be the only one. It's great to have hundred percent market share, but it's also really good that other agencies know these big AAA agencies know how to do things. Mm. So it was really kind of came to this point uh, of going, okay, we'd be ready to do an awards. And then, for a long time, I'd thought about what would the award actually be? Yeah. How, how does, how does the award look? You know? Yeah. I was with my dad um, when we, we drunk a, like a bottle of whiskey or something. And, and I was just said to him, uh, I still haven't come up with a design for an award. And my dad basically sketched something up and it was really cool. It was like a, you've seen it, I think. Yeah. It was like a, a shaker that goes into a lemon, a lemon zest kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Like a really uh, long, long zested, yeah, a long yeah, kind of like cut down just lemon. And, it was and, and I looked and I was like, dude. And it was my dad. And I was just like, fuck, yeah. Okay, this is it. This is it. I've got it. Okay, and I'm going to go for it. And it was just sometimes, it's amazing how sometimes you just need one little thing yeah. to kick your ass in that direction. One little kind of inspiration or one little thing. So, yeah. and my dad, my dad did that. So then kind of like I contacted um, a silversmith in England uh, and had this, amazing award made and it was extremely expensive but kind of like <laughs> but the point was is that we decided to do the awards in 2016 and we were we basically thought you know i had the award idea and then i and then i was like then i kind of i spoken to lots of lots of friends about it and like they were like yeah yeah that'd be great and then we we did it yeah. and it was really really cool we had 280 people we did it in a ballroom and um and we had i can't remember maybe 18 to 20 awards um my dad was there so kind of yeah. like got to, you know he got to see the event as well um and and it was just a celebration basically it's a celebration of our trade and it's where bartenders distributors media whoever you are in the industry you're the same um, yeah you know and you and you know the industry is not just bartenders the industry is everyone behind the scenes it's been such a nice celebration of every everyone being able to come together um mm. in one room and and we started with oh we had dandelion coming we had you know michael ball and ian um ian coming and um and they did the dandelion bar and then we had one more bar there and then you know after a few years i think last year we had well the year that you came 
think it was 2019 we had about 23 bars yeah that was huge across the space. um and we had like and that was the last obviously the last one that we had with 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 heaps of internationals um the last couple yeah. of years have been only 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 um our national crew which is yeah. still great still being great but kind of like it was you know we don't know when we're going to be able to get that but you know through covid it made me also realize that you know the one thing that bartenders across the country really looked forward to if they had the chance was to come to drink awards mm. um so last year we made the decision to go regional yeah. and we created um we created a smaller drink awards in in four different regions so we did north south east and west and we had 250 different bartenders and tradespeople coming right. from those different regions into those kind of like a roadshow. Yeah. Um, and then this year we've decided to go five regions. So we've built the Middle Kingdom region. So we've got the central region of China and then the okay. other four regions. And just actually because it's such a large country, right? It's not just about trying to make it a little bit more, you know, coin. It's, it's really kind of like trying to make sure everyone feels uh, mm. valid validated well i think and, too the awards things it can give people i mean awards are not the be all and end all of things right uh, i think a lot of people will say that but it does yeah. give you something to sort of aim for and it does sort of i think set a a benchmark of what's really great and it, it sort of provides a little positive encouragement in that way exactly it's an awards system is it's an incredibly touchy thing to manage <laughs> is it's an excuse to bring people together yeah as long as you can have a, a relatively uh, legitimate system, it's an excuse to bring people together first and foremost. So we've constantly every year tried to make sure that our system is more credible and we're constantly changing it. We've not used the word best in there because that can really be, you know, thrown around a lot. Yeah. Um, so, um, but this year we've kind of, we've, we've, we've put in a system whereby it means that less people will be applying for it, but basically it's an application process. It's not a nomination of somebody else. You basically have to apply to, to be in and okay. you have to fill up full application to join. Um, and you have to upload different bits and pieces in order to, you know, to, to, to raise your credibility within that first uh, segment of, of judging. Interesting. As someone who's been involved in uh, the bar awards here in, in Australia and, you know, 50 best and that sort of stuff, I'm always fascinated with, because there's always like, oh, how else can you do this differently? Because you, you think that every way has been done. China's a great place. I love it to bits. That's why I've been here for 15 years. But kind of like it does have lots of bits and pieces that I don't know how to say it <laughs> nicely. Um no, but what I'm saying is yeah. kind of like they do employ a lot. And, and I think it happens around the world. So it's not just here. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people will employ robots in, in oh, yeah. when it's done digitally. A lot of people will employ robots in. And in the original nominational process, it started by people paying for robots in these nominations. But we're not, we're not that popular that, you know, suddenly you see, you know, a thousand people on wine program. Yeah, like yeah. a thousand more people than on other ones is what yeah. i mean yeah and you're like okay that's not real so then yeah. you start telling people we, we're going to knock out robots and then you start to see solicitation within businesses so then you're seeing businesses that basically ask all of their staff to tell three friends yeah which 
which then is also not fair, you know, because some people are trying to do it legitimately and the other people are just like, oh, it's going to get basically 600 people to put a vote in for some random award. And then they do the same thing across all the awards. And then yeah. it's just, it's just infiltrated with, with crap. Yeah. Um, so then that's why I pulled that out. And then I went straight to judging last year. But then straight to judging, you know, it's just the popular places that pop up with that. And some people just don't get a chance to nominate themselves. And put it. Yeah. So then I was like, look, we'll, we'll still have two judging rounds. We'll have a larger judging round, which has about 700 judges across the country. And then we'll have a smaller judging round, which is more traveled and more credible, um, more credible judges, not more credible people. But more more credible independent. Judges. Yeah. Yeah, who, who who travel the country more, who see more of these different places. Yeah. Um, but then the nice thing is they're actually going to have a tool, which is you know the uploads that these different bars they they can basically build a profile. So right. they put to upload different pieces, and we will basically take all of that key information on every single place or person, and then put it into one document, and then every judge will get that document, and then when they see those different items come up they can um they can actually reference a credible list of credible uh bits and pieces and they can go i might not have been there i've heard about i know it's very popular but i can actually see now that you know it's it, it hosts this many guest bartendings every month it, yeah. it's it's hosted this many competitions it's it's won this award and this award at this thing it's got this bartender and this bartender and it's like oh okay i can actually see that they're a really credible bar yeah gotcha yeah, it's a, so it's a, I could talk about these sort of systems all day long. <laughs> I find them fascinating, endlessly fascinating. I don't think anyone will ever get it right. I think the fact is, whether you're fitness, whether you're spirited, you're all you're all great platforms mm. to to push bartending to the world. However, you're doing it, mm. there's so many haters out there. But you know, as long as you've got something great that works, um, that's all we need. Hundred percent. I don't think you can ever please everybody. So last question for you. You've had a really interesting career thus far and you you seem to uh, operate with some ambition and build some big things. What are, what are the characteristics about you that you think have uh, placed you well to do this sort of stuff? And what are the things you sort of needed to work on as an individual to push this stuff down the road and keep it going? Um, it's a big question, I know. <laughs> um i think a certain amount of it's it's good to have a certain amount of ignorance <laughs> so when i first started the magazine i was just kind of like oh a magazine easy you know yeah right um, and realized it wasn't that easy um yeah. but kind of i think i think i think i think too much I think way too much through different things. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm I'm much more of a creative than I am a, a business person to my detriment, actually. But <laughs> yeah. um, I love kind of talking to brands and trying to come up with ideas in how we can take those brands in a humane and fun way to our crowd, to our industry, and, and hopefully in the future to more consumers, yeah. to bring more consumers into the fold. So for me, I'm open to everything, and I've and I've become, I've become much more open to being in China and not being from China, and you know, 
living in a place where so many things are done differently i've 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 grown open to to these differences mm. um i dream a lot and i've got so much more stuff that i want to do i've written epilogues to dramas yeah. i've got i, I want to do a uh, like a rock and roll tour from north to south and you know, with a band of bartenders yeah. i want to build you know I wanna, there's so much stuff that i want to do to kind of like to to help build this industry i want to build an incubator for small brands um i want to build a school like you know there's so much stuff that still needs to be done to yeah. to to take this industry because we've been doing it from ground one we've basically been you know a massive part of building this industry here yeah so kind of like and there's not actually there's no other companies that are really that have been doing it for this long and, and that are really still striving and wanting to do it so for me platforms like Boothby um, and other platforms uh, potentially around the world kind of like being able to tell our story and we need more bartenders. So, you know, kind of if you're, if you, if you're happy to be locked down again, um, you know, come over, come over to China. I'll get you a job. You're going to start a, a recruitment um, agency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, a, like an acting agency. There I would be go. thinking about that as well, but you know, it's no China is a great place and we're in a bit of a dip at the moment with everything that's going on. You know, it's a massive country. They're just being careful. Um, you know, really. Um, but it is, yeah, we're in a bit of a dip. You know, we haven't had any business basically for about six months and we've got one massive activation starting up um, soon. And we're hoping that that fingers crossed that that happens. Um, but anyone that wants to kind of explore and help to build um, an industry, you know, come over, give me a buzz come over and join join the mission i'll put you i'll put your phone number in the show notes <laughs> Do it. Do it. all right well Theo, Theo, thank you very much for uh joining me on the podcast it's been a pleasure You're to welcome, talk to you. Mate. thank you so much thank you to theo what for joining me and thank you to you for listening as always i hope you enjoyed this podcast and if you did please give it a rating on apple Podcasts, on spotify or wherever you get yours if you've got some thoughts on this episode and you'd like to share them, my email is sam at boothby.com.au. It would be great to hear from you. Until next week, this has been Drinks at Work by Boothby.